welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. It's Arlene and Katie here again today. So Katie, what's going on on the farm or what do you want to talk to me about today? Well, Arlene, as usual, I started telling you all about what was happening in my life before I realized that we should be recording it and not, you know, wasting good content for the sake of being friends or whatever. We oh. might say something that was, you know, witty. So better, better <laughs> press the record button. What if we said something insightful and nobody heard it? It's like a, a tree <laughs> falling happened. in the forest, right? No, what I was telling you is that after two and a half years, it's starting to feel like this working remotely thing is going to be a, a permanent thing, which is ridiculous because my job's always been remote. I mean, it's since day one. Um, and all my coworkers are remote, like it's never going to change, but I'm just realizing that maybe it's time to actually set up an office and like, like I have an office space, but it's also the craft space. And it's also the, I need to keep the kids out of this. So I will shove it in here because it's the only room they don't have free reign over space, which has also of course made it just irresistible to them because all of the treasures and all of the, as Charlotte calls them, whemmy whems, which would be peanut butter M&Ms, are in mommy's office. <laughs> so she'll come in and she'll just kind of, you know, if I'm working while the kids are home, she'll just kind of look around real innocent, like she's just come to say hi. And then she'll hold her hand out and go, you got more whemmy whems, mommy? You got any whemmy whems? <laughs> she knows they're stashed in there somewhere. Yeah, they're totally stashed in there somewhere. It's also where I hide the Christmas presents, and I'm realizing how much I need to have a reading space that is not our bed, that is also not in the living room, which is where the only TV in the house is, because I can't read at night with the TV on, and it seems rude to kick Jim out of the only room with the television just so that I can read. So I feel like maybe I should just have a little mom cave up here, but... But then the, the organization with young kids is seems yeah. impossible, right? Because where yeah. do you put the stuff while you organize the stuff? And if you need it, new furniture, you need to move the things around. And then all of a sudden, that stuff that was stashed away becomes irresistible to little little hands. And then yeah. and all of a sudden, and it's there. As is, as is so frequently mentioned, when you live in a place where the closest Target is an hour and a half away and the closest Ikea is almost four hours away, and you don't necessarily really want to spend several thousand dollars on the couch to go in your office mm -hmm. um it makes it hard to to pick out furniture and things so we're in that in that place as well yeah and i find it hard to visualize you know i mean there's there's tons of places we can order online and that's fantastic you know like i know that we're lucky compared to people in the past who maybe had to order from a, a catalog or something. I suppose that was kind of the, you know, the precursor to online, but especially for a couch, I want to like 
feel it. <laughs> yeah, I want to go like roll around on, on it, it some <laughs> yeah. and like bounce up or, and down. And... See, you know, I can, sure I can measure the dimensions, but I want to make sure I can sit in it and actually get back out of it again. <laughs> you know, like cause some couches are way too low for my aging body. Yeah, well, and part of it is that I have the Davenport that my grandparents bought when they got married in 1937, but I also have a deposit in to get it reupholstered. And when it is reupholstered, it will replace the couch in the living room. But I can't get rid of the living room couch until the Davenport gets reupholstered because otherwise we just won't have a couch for however long that takes, which right, yeah. I don't think a my family few pillows is going to go floor. for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like here, kids, here's just a couple dog beds that we had extra. The kids would probably be fine with it. <laughs> It'd be yeah. you and Jim that might have more of an issue. Yeah. It's my 40-year-old self does not think this sounds amazing. But also my office needs to be re-drywalled because the ceiling is collapsing because old plaster, old houses. So I need to empty my office out, but there's nowhere to go with all the stuff and I need to get the furniture out, but not until it's fixed. It's just... If you give a mouse the cookie, right? Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, Arlene, how are things in your world? So part of this discussion started because we actually got a new office installed. I have a cousin who is an incredible carpenter and we put our name on his waiting list. Well, I looked it up. It was a year and a half ago. So we got got to the end of the list and got our office installed. So that feels pretty exciting because the office setup had been my father-in-law's desk from when he was in high school. So it's probably... 50 or so years old and my husband's desk from when I think maybe when he went to university so it was 25 years old and they were kind of positioned with a chair in between them and some Rubbermaid totes for all the filing and so it was a, a very sophisticated system of course but now we have built-ins that go right up to our tall ceilings and um, filing drawers instead of Rubbermaid totes so it feels very grown up so I'm feeling very envious of your uh, slide-out printer tray, too. Arlene yes. sent me some in-depth photos. It is gorgeous. Yeah, because, and... I mean, a printer copier for the farm business ends up taking up a lot of space, and old desks were not built for that. So it was just sitting on the desk, which meant you had most of a desk, which was just holding a printer on it. So now it has its own little drawer, which is fantastic. And other than that, I was thinking last week, Katie, you were talking about how long February had been. And in my mind, I was like, oh, well, it's the shortest month. It's not that it's long. It's been like 589 days, though. Well, like, yeah, it how is, is it? <laughs> I realize that now because we were supposed to have a long weekend. So we have a family day, which was this past Monday. But there was a snowstorm before the weekend started. So they had a snow day on Friday. And then they had family day. So there was the, the long weekend. And then there was going to be an ice storm. So they canceled the buses for the day there was going to be an ice storm. And then there was an ice storm. And so they canceled the buses again because the roads were so icy. So they had a six-day weekend instead of a three-day weekend. So that that felt very long. So it's Thursday when we're recording this. And they finally went back to school. So And now there's another snowstorm in the forecast for tomorrow. So we'll see. Maybe they'll get another long weekend. But they did go to school for one day. So that well, feels good. like a win. Yeah, we're having the same issue. The problem with being all remote at work is that, like, I have one coworker who's in Japan and one coworker who's in Spain and coworkers all over the U.S. And trying to get meetings to happen when it's 9 p.m. in one person's world and 5 a.m. the next day in your other coworker's world 
and it's snowing and it's COVID and everybody's kids are home has been impressive. Like the fact that we're even still trying to have meetings is impressive to me and everybody's doing a good job, but it's, it's been chaotic and I think everybody (laughs) is over it. All right. Do you have any farm updates more specifically, Arlene? Oh, farm updates. No, more ice, as I said. So more days of the cows inside because it's, it's hardly safe for humans to walk out on the ice. So the cows are definitely not going out. Yeah, I don't think there's much going on. Do you have any lambs yet? Or you're still in a hold, not, hold mode? Not yet. I think it should be about another week, maybe. I did, however, the other day I looked out and the bull was just standing in the middle of the driveway, just hanging out. He's a that's good guy. His, that's not his place. That's not where he belongs now. He had the the neighbors were doing a bunch of target practice or uh, whatever. There was a lot of shooting and apparently it startled him right over slash through the barbed wire. He's a big guy. You know, he right. stays in because he wants to stay in. And so he was out of the fence and then he just kind of, you know, he came across the road and wandered up the driveway and wandered around for a while and then... You know, at my insistence, he just wandered right back over and I, you know, my father-in-law opened the gate and then he went, you know, is we're very lucky to have a, have a chill guy to deal with. Um, at, at least by the time he arrived at the driveway, he had chilled back out again. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. still, uh, wasn't yeah. still spooked. Yeah. I don't know how spooked he was to begin with. He was, he's pretty big. So he may have just been sort of near the fence when he started, you know, but he's a good guy, but still. I'm over people scaring our animals. Very low tolerance for that. Yeah. Our guest today is Sean Tyson joining us from Central Illinois. He runs 54 farms. And Sean, we start every episode with the same question. So Sean, what are you growing? I think we're growing cattle and kids here at 54 Farms. So that's what that's what we're doing. And how many cattle? We've got more than some and, and less than most on the cattle department. And then on the kids, we've got two biological kids of our own. And then we've got one bonus child, Aiden, that lives with us as well as my son's best friend. So, yeah, we've got three total. And I saw looking at your uh, website, the the steak pictures made me awfully hungry. I didn't want to just say like the beef pictures because that sounds weird. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you're raising your cattle? It looks like it's real similar to how we do ours here. Yeah, so so our cattle are grass-fed, grain-finished, and it's just conventionally conventionally grown. All of our cows go out on grass come springtime, and then the last three months of their lives or so, we're they're fed full grain ration and and hay and clean water. All right, and are you raising predominantly Black Angus then, or are you uh, if it's got four so legs and moves, it'll turn into steak? Yes, <laughs> no, we we've we've messed around a little bit with it. And we had some black Angus, straight black Angus. We've done just about everything. I like to say that we've made all the mistakes and we, we've come to the realization that we like the Hereford Angus cross. And that's just for docility and meat quality. And uh, what, what we really like is cattle that don't want to kill us and having a bunch of kids around, it really helps us to have cattle that aren't quite so aggressive. The other thing that we do here is we do agritourism. So there's a lot of folks that show up on our farm and they camp through a, through a hosting service called RV, it's called Harvest Hosts. And so we've got a lot of people that visit our farm. And the last thing we want is 
kind of something that's a little bit rank and, and crazy out there. So we've got pretty friendly cattle that we bucket feed them to begin with. And that kind of helps tame them to uh, human contact anyway. Yeah, we switched over to predominantly uh, Normandy beef about three years ago, because same thing, little kids. And you know, I just got sick of fixing fences and Angus cows going, you know, over gates and through gates and over fences and through fences and through people. And it's just life is too short to deal with that kind of you know, yeah, crap. It's I'd, just... I'd much rather have the calm ones, that's for yeah. sure. Yep. Yep, we had a helicopter came over low a couple years ago and had a cow go through quite a few gates on her way out of the place because she didn't know what it was and she didn't like it and she was gone. You know, it was yeah. It was kind of well, if we weren't fixing that. fences, I don't know what we'd be doing. Yeah, that's true too. All right, so Sean, I actually found you through a post on Twitter. Can you tell our listeners a little about the family history you shared there and how you ended up where you are now? Sure. So a little bit about the family history. I, I think that post that you're referring to, I talked about how my family farming history ended in 1945. Yep. And what that was is my grandfather lived on a farm, on a grain farm in McLean, Illinois. This would have been in the early 40s or, you know, late 30s, early 40s. He went to war and went away and he was actually captured as a prisoner of war in North Africa in Tunisia and was in German style at 15B. He was gone for approximately 26 months. And in those 26 months, his parents had died and the farm had been divested to his other siblings, three other siblings. And they said, well, sorry, we thought you were dead. And they had already split up the farm ground. And so he was out of any kind of farm ground. So my grandfather actually ended up not farming from that point on. And he went to work for the railroad. And so that was, you know, essentially that's where my, my farming, my family's farming stopped. You know, my dad didn't farm. We, we, I was raised on a small hobby farm, but we just had, you know, a couple of horses here and there, nothing, nothing profitable, so to speak. So can I ask what the family relationship was with that generation? I mean, did he stay in contact with his siblings or, I mean, it, seems like it would be hard to, you know, celebrate Christmas with folks who said, well, we thought you were dead. So. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that I don't think that anything came of that after that. I think my my grandfather then gravitated more towards my grandmother's side of the family and they all they kind of just moved away from that McLean area. And I don't think they really spoke much after that. And I can't say that I would particularly blame him for that. So, yeah, no, fair enough. I know, you know, some families seem like they just kind of shove stuff like that under the rug and just carry on like it's nothing which i don't understand but you know i guess more power to him but you know i'm just i'm incredibly nosy which is why i started this show because i like to talk to people and i like to you know get nosy and ask weird questions about other people's lives um yeah def definitely a case for uh, transition planning and and current farms right now i would say yeah yeah i don't know how you'd really transition plan for you know everybody thinking you were dead but yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a case for why you should have a plan in place for that. You know. Yeah, so it was it was it was an inter it was an interesting deal, and so my grandfather all through the you know I guess from the fifties until the late eighties was a railroad engineer. My dad wasn't you know my dad was a salesperson his entire life, so he had nothing to do with farming whatsoever, but did move us into a rural community. And I guess that's how this all kind of started out for me. And my wife was, you know, we had a love for horses and I had a love for cattle. And we found that 
you know, post high school, early college. And that's, that's where our journey really began. So what steps did you take to get back into farming, not being from that background? I mean, a lot of people who don't have a farming background don't end up in this, this career path. It's, it's not an easy transition necessarily. So what started you on this path? Yeah. So what was interesting about that was I was, we were surrounded by farms and all, all my friends were farmers, you know, because that's what they, that's what they did. And so really the only work that you could find was, was on a farm. And so I worked on as a, as a child, even at, at nine years old, I was scooping out uh, horse stalls. And so that led me to working on different farms and different farm projects and ended up working on a cattle farm as I went to college for um, agriculture. So spent uh, a lifetime in uh, the ag industry. So I've been in the ag industry for 25 years. And I think seeing that lifestyle and seeing what my farmers enjoyed, my customers enjoyed, I really wanted that for my kids. And so that was always a goal for my wife and I was to get back to this farming way of life. And we, we lived in town our first 15 years of marriage. And it wasn't until the opportunity came for us to sell uh, the house that we had redone in, in the city to move out to a, a small four acre farm out in the country. And that's, that's where all it really started. Sure. And do both you and your wife still have off farm jobs or are either of you able to be farming? So my wife is a dental hygienist and then she actually runs our meat business, our direct consumer meat business. And then I work for AgriLiant Genetics as a dealer development manager for the central U.S. And then the agritourism part that you mentioned, how, how does that work? Is that some, that's a, a recent addition to the farm or how many, campers, yeah, so there's a, how many campers yeah, there, can you pack into a field? <laughs> so we've got three, we've got three camping spots. And what's interesting about it is I did it kind of on a lark just because I like telling ag story. And I thought, Oh, we may get two or three people through here in a year or whatever. It'll, it'll be interesting. And it'll be a nice way for us to tell the story and maybe sell a little bit of beef while we're at it. And so it's an app on your phone. It's called, it's called Harvest Hosts and the members pay a fee to be associated with it. And there's 2000 camping spots. It might be a farm, a brewery, a winery, a public place, like a public place of interest. And you're not obligated to pay the host, but what you are asked to do is maybe buy something if they're selling something, whether it's, whether it's beer, wine, or, or in our case, beef. And so we, we found out that during the weekends in the summer, we would have anywhere from two to three campers a weekend per day. And it really got very, very busy for us, parking campers all over the place on our farm and telling the story over and over again. I've got a very, I've got a very detailed script that I give everybody that comes in and, and I've, I've practiced it that much. So it's been a lot of fun, actually. We meet people from all over the country and there's a lot of curiosity on, you know, what we do for agriculture here in Illinois, but kind of tell the story for everybody, you know, and maybe in their particular neck of the woods, if they're from Arizona, explain how, you know, how irrigation works, or if they're from California, explain to them how water rights work or anything like that. So that's, that's what we try to do. If those folks aren't from a farming background is, you know, try to fill them in a little bit. Do you get a lot of retired farmers? I'm picturing that uh, as being the kind of thing that a retired farmer might be interested in. You would in. be surprised. I would tell you probably 10%. Oh, yeah. Give or take are, are retired farmers. And a lot of them want to see the setup. A lot of them want to see the cows. They ask you a lot of questions. But yeah. And a lot of people that are just very curious about what it is that we do. A lot of, we have a lot in 
in the first year of COVID, we had a lot of chefs. So they, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of work for those folks. Right. And they were coming through, but we had a half a dozen chefs that came through and that's what they were doing. They were just traveling and they were finding work where they could find it. Sure. And what's your obligation in terms of what, like a, a camping spot? Do you need to have it serviced or what does No, that you know, they just have to have a place where they can boondock and park their camper. So we've got, okay. we've got a couple of spots that are on gravel. And then we, we arranged a couple of spots in one of our fields so that they could park off into the side in one of our alfalfa fields. And has agritourism been enough of a thing in your area that your insurance agent had heard of this before? Or were they, I know, you know, where we live in rural Iowa, it's still kind of a new idea and finding yeah. an insurance agent is challenging. Our insurance agent, that didn't play into it because with, with harvest hosts, they provide, there's a, there's a waiver, there's a level of, of, you know, you don't have to worry about that. They okay. take care of that on their end. And so if you're signing up for harvest hosts, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a waiver saying, Hey, hold harmless. I understand what's going to go on and the activities that go on on the farm. And, and we take every step that we can to make sure that they're safe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to let them in with our cows, but they can, they can certainly go up to the fence a lot of times and, and the cows will kind of follow them around. And, you know, we're not, we're not having them out there when we're warming or doing anything like that. They're, they're just there to watch. And sometimes if we, we had some show cattle for the kids this, this past summer, and those are good enough, you know, we can let somebody in there to pet them and do whatever. And we did a lot of that. And the kids really seem to love that. They love that. And they love our, the goat and the pony that we've got. So so you make them pay extra and they can come do shoot work, right? Like, you need some real insurance for that, though, I think. Yeah. kind of seems like a, a riskier thing. So did your grandfather know that you were working towards getting back into farming? No, I don't think so at all. So my grandfather passed away from complications from being a prisoner of war okay. in... 19 I was 14 1991 23 somewhere in that in, in that range and so he never really knew that I had any inclination to go back into farming at that point in my life you know maybe I, I was involved in FFA but you know my my life was was before me at that point and really it was always kind of a hope and a dream I think I think during college we had a couple of goal setting sessions and it challenged me to come up with a one five and like a 15 year goal. And my 15 year goal was to have cows and have horses and have a farm. And I thought, man, that's really lofty, you know, 15 years outside of college. And that was actually, I hit my one five and 15 year goals exactly like I, I thought I would. And yeah, it was, it was interesting that that it all came to fruition. That's pretty impressive too. I know plenty of us are still working on our one-year goal. I think, you know, we've, at least around here, we've gotten past a lot of 15-year goals and still have some one-year goals that we're working on. So, yeah. Was the the story of your, your grandfather's, the, the loss of the farm and things like that, was something, was that something that you knew about growing up or something that he talked about? Or as Katie said, was that one of those things that was kind of, he moved on, you know, he walked away from that and was. I think, I think he moved on, but my curiosity about the especially as I delved into agriculture, my curiosity about the whole situation really peaked up probably when I was in my mid twenties, you know, my grandfather had been gone for a while and I really want to get the background and the history of it because actually I found where the farm was 
And what's ironic about it was that I was working in a job in agriculture as a, um, I sold fertilizer, chemical seed, things like that. And I found a gentleman that was in his nineties and he was my grandfather's neighbor. And they actually went to school together, hung out together. He said, yeah, your grandfather, he was a, he was a trick shot with a slingshot and the best fisherman I ever knew. And he, they actually worked on the railroad together. And so he goes, oh yeah, that farm, that's this farm up, up the road. Well, what was ironic about it is I just had put a corn plot in on that, on that field, one of the, one of the, one of the fields that my family had owned previous. And so to me, that was pretty interesting that I, you know, my work brought me back around to the, what was once the family ground. So had his siblings split it up and kept farming it or had they split it and sold it? They split it and sold it. There's not a lot of clarity on, on my, on my folks end or on my grandmother when she was alive. They, they just didn't, there was a lot of things that they didn't talk about. And I don't know if that was a, a product of him being in World War II and he didn't want to talk about a lot of things. And all he wanted to talk about was what was ahead of him and not what was behind him. And I think that was a, that was an underlying theme in his life was just put the past behind him and, and start working forward. And so that's, yeah, that was, maybe it was all, maybe it was all uh, meant to be. And that's, you know, that's the way, it, the way it was. And, and everybody has been successful, notwithstanding the habit, having a farm to fall back on. So Yeah. Maybe that's the way it was meant to be. So have you always been interested in family history and like regional history, or was this just more of a curiosity one-time situation? So history is actually one of my favorite subjects in, in high school. And definitely like it, it was one that I had excelled in. And then it was just something that I kind of dove into a little bit further as, as older relatives started dying off, I wanted to understand the history of, you know, what it was that, that my grandfather Tyson and then on my mother's side, uh, my other grandfather had done during the war. And so I, I'd done a lot of research. I went in and I got the, er, their um, records back from the DOD. And it was really very clear, you know, what he had done and where he'd been and, and his release date and all that stuff. It was pretty interesting to me. And I've got, I've got an entire file folder here that my mom's given me that's got you know, basic layouts of what the farm looked like. And there were very intricate pictures of like orchards and things like that, that were, that were on the farm. And um, it's, it's very, to me, it's super, super interesting to understand, you know, how things went back that, back in that time timeline. And then also how like plot maps looked and the names that are associated with those, those pieces of land and how you can track that through history. To me, that's always been kind of fascinating is how that stuff changes over time. Yep. I married into a family century farm here in Northeast Iowa. So our kids are the fifth generation and looking back at, you know, we have just boxes and boxes of family photos of the farm and, you know, even aerial photos from the early fifties of you know, where the garden was and where the orchard was. And my husband's grandfather and his brothers apparently raised foxes for pelts. You know, just these sorts of things that were totally normal when they did them. And so nobody thought to, you know, write it down and keep a journal of what they did. But looking back on it, you know, now, mm -hmm. what, 70 years later, there's so much that's just sort of been lost to the, you know the history of things as people pass away and stories get forgotten and you know it's it's interesting to dig that back out 
and it's yeah, and I think I think that trends oral... of wearing uh, fox stoles have gone out of style. Yeah, too. yeah, <laughs> that oral history is always really important. I find, and you know, telling telling your kids about what you found out, you know, and pass, passing those ta tales along uh, is always an important part of history. Yep, I I find it interesting. My mom is a historian by trade and she used to take me along a lot to you know listen while she did interviews and I'd sit at the kitchen table with the wives you know and now I'm here doing a podcast where I can basically get out what amounts to a tape recorder and get real nosy about people's lives so must you know run in the run in the family so you said you've already achieved all your goals <laughs> the ones you said as a teenager anyway so yeah. what what do you see as your goals going forward with you know I, I think with with every farm you know you've got we've got our kids and and we want to bring them into it and definitely we wanted the exposure for them and and the exposure to this lifestyle and this work ethic that you have to develop for doing for living on a farm and I think we've we've done that now whether we've transferred the bug of the love of farming to our kids and <laughs> yet remains to be seen and we've got a son that's just as an he's actually enlisted in the air guard and he's going to be a firefighter paramedic and another another our spare bonus son he's going away to college this fall or next spring I guess and or next fall anyway but our 12 year old daughter I think it if anybody has the bug for farming and it would be her. She really loves the horses. She loves the cows and she loves everything about it. So, you know, goals for us is to transition this farm, you know, maybe someday to somebody like that, to one of the kids. And if, if not, if it, if it ends here, then that's, then that's fine too. But ultimately that's what the goal is, is, you know, to, to expose your kids to this, you know, to this lifestyle and see if they take to it. Yeah, I know we've talked before, my husband and I, about that, you know, wanting wanting to give them the option and hoping they have a love for it and yet not not wanting to burden them with something that, that they don't want or, or feeling any pressure that they have to do it. So it, it's a it's a fine balance there, right, where you're trying to 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 give them options, but, but not place something on their shoulders that they're not interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know this is a question that we often end up asking our female guests, but Katie and I said that we needed to uh, remember to ask this to our, our dads as well. So you have an off-farm job and you're farming and you've got kids. So how do you do it all? What's the, what's the key to trying to find some kind of balance to, to, do, to serving all those roles? Supportive wife, for one. That's, that's, that's the number one. I think everybody's involved. And, and getting things done. So, you know, if, if there's something that I can't get done, my son can almost always fill in for me in any physical aspect. You know, he, he's capable of lifting things or doing things or, or if cows get out while dad's on a trip. My son and my wife are very, very capable of getting everything, getting everything uh, fixed. And, you know, I, I usually that's how it happens. <laughs> if I'm in Nebraska or I'm in Colorado or Wyoming and some of the cattle get out eh, it's it's going to happen when i'm out of state it doesn't oh, happen yeah, when i'm around home yeah so you know that's that's how we i think we manage around it it's a it's a, a team effort i think those cows must have a calendar because we interviewed a uh, veterinarian for last week's show and talking about that we only end up with emergency vet calls on you know sunday nights of holiday weekends it's the only time that 
all hell breaks loose is you know absolutely we've gone somewhere it's a holiday or something so they must have a you know some way to read a calendar or something out there that they know what's going oh, on. oh absolutely so sean our other favorite question is what county fair contest real or uh imagined could you dominate if there was a talking to a brick wall contest i think i could probably win that my my love for talking to people and and talking about stuff subjects like agriculture or anything like that that's i think that's where i could succeed and definitely dominate is talking to a brick wall arlene this is sure it's in our, somewhere in our barnyard language olympics we could have sean versus sarah you know because isn't she going to that <laughs> yeah, national competition too, for yeah. talking so. <laughs> yeah. just give me just give me a topic and i can and i can fill in airtime that's that's for sure if we had a, another podcast host on who's competing in the Farm Bureau, what do they, what do they call it? It's not the discussion contest, but it is basically. Uh, yeah, they're given a topic and they have to. Yeah. Yeah. So the Farm Bureau debate team, I guess. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So our next segment is cussing and discussing. As always, as a listener, if you would like to cuss and discuss anything, you can send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com, or you can send us a PM on Instagram or Facebook. Katie, have you got anything you want to cuss or discuss today? I actually have a discussing today, Arlene, since okay, you challenged away. that I only ever cuss. Um, <laughs> I'm realizing that what I, my note says nose blindness. It's really hard to tell. Sean, my kids are three and just turned five, so we're still in a differently challenging phase of things. It would be nice to have a way for people to give you honest feedback about your children's behavior, because it's hard to tell if they're, you know, total monsters and you're just used to it. And so, you know, like when your house has a weird smell and you can't smell it anymore because it's just there <laughs> all the time, that like... Are my children just more energetic than other kids or are they completely out of control little shits? It's hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> you know, well, so and especially be... during a pandemic when you maybe haven't been seeing people or doing, you know, events out in public for a while, then yeah, you don't have those those regular comparisons. Yep. And everyone, you know, I hear from school that they're really good at school, so I assume they're capable of acting like humans, but we were all home together all weekend. And it was a lot. They do play very, very well together most of the time, but they equally try to murder each other the rest of the time. <laughs> so it would just be nice for there to be some way for, you know, other folks who see your kids on a more regular basis to tell you if they're actually decent humans or not. In a nice way, of course, not in yeah. a judgy way. Yeah. Oh, plenty of people are willing to tell you what they think about your kids in a judgy way. It would just be nice <laughs> to hear it in a constructive way. <laughs> anyway, Sean, what do you have? Some discuss. I don't have anything More to cuss. I'm, I mean, generally speaking, <laughs> I'm a pretty positive Cows haven't person. got it recently. My, my daughter's horses got out the other day, and <laughs> that is because a certain dad backed a trailer in too far, and it pushed a gate open, and... The nosy pony, the goat, and the red horse got out, and they were a mile away from the house. And so my daughter was not having that. She was, she was not happy that we had to go all the way out there, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't come to her, and we had to walk them all the way back up to the house before we could finally <laughs> catch them. So oh, no. she was none too happy about that. 
I will admit, I don't have much experience with horses in the like trying to get them back into an enclosure setting. I'm guessing that they're they're definitely different to work with. Uh, yeah, the, the the push on them is is a little bit different. Yeah, they they're not the same as cows, but they're they're not difficult. It's just a matter of how scared are they. And so sure, yeah. our large guardian dog had chased them a good a good way and <laughs> away from the farm. Yeah, away from the farm. And I think that that caused the the not being able to catch them issue. So, right. Well, and it always complicates things if they're scared or if they're having a lot of fun. It's, you know, if they're yeah. having a lot of fun, I think they were doing back. Yeah, I think they, they were having fun. They were led by an honorary goat. And his name is Totes my goats. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is the perfect goat name right there. Yes. So Arlene, what have you got today? So mine is more of an annoyance. I'm not cussing necessarily, but, and I know I am completely understanding of schools having to do a lot of communicating and there's no great way to do it. I mean, we've got 5,000 apps and different teachers use different platforms and some of them email and some of them don't. And anyway, so we got a notice last week that there was going to be a field trip this week, which is fine. No problem. I can fill out the form, but they're taking the kids skating which is also fine. We live in Canada, lots of people skate, but I've got four kids and I don't always have skates that fit everybody. Plus you have to have approved helmets for everybody. And I, a week's notice is just not really enough for me <laughs> because you know I live in a small town and if the one store that sells skates doesn't have their size or I can't borrow them, then it's maybe not gonna happen. Plus I've got a kid who has some sensory stuff going on and doesn't skate. So then I have to figure out, is there an alternative activity? Because they didn't tell me that on the field trip form. So am I sending him to school? Am I keeping him home? Anyway, it's just one of those things where I wish there was a bit more lead up and a bit more info, but I will talk to the school about that. Maybe the next time we might get two weeks notice. I don't know. That is frustrating, that issue of living in a small town and having short notice for procuring things. Yeah. And I also feel bad for the families who, you know, like buying new skates is a a lot of money. Like we might not, our kids don't play hockey. I mean, obviously lots of people do, but you know, there might be families who buying some skates for their kids is, is not an investment they can make right now. So then, yeah, then it puts, puts everybody in a difficult situation where they're maybe not able to participate, but want to, or don't want to, but don't know what the, what the other option is. So anyway, that was my event for this week. Wow. I just assumed all Canadian kids like got skates at birth. Yeah, I thought they just <laughs> like, yeah immediately. The skate fairy would just show up and present. <laughs> I, I will say I do have a box of skates in my basement, but yeah. Skates yeah. and is it is it poutine? Is that yeah. how you say it? Yeah, yeah, skates, poutine, put on your toque and my my family's a curling family instead of hockey, so that's our I've got cur- I've got curling shoes. <laughs> but, they have special yeah. shoes for that. <laughs> yeah, because on the ice, you're actually sliding on it, right? It's not just shoes. There's You actually have like one shoe is like has a grip on it and the other shoe has a slider. So it's actually like a flat, slippery surface, like a Teflon basically, or like a plasticky surface. So you can slide really far on the ice. I had no idea. <laughs> this is why we have this like cross-cultural <laughs> exchange. Of... <laughs> 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 about these things. <laughs> So, right. Sean, do you want to tell anyone listening where they can find you online? Do you have a 
Facebook page or Instagram? Can people buy your sure. beef? What's, what's your deal? Yeah. So it's 54farms.com. So that's e- either spelled out or the numerics of 54farms.com. And the same way on Instagram, it's at 54, at 54farms. And on Facebook, I believe it's at 54farms. So funny story behind why we're called 54 farms is because uh, we got in a little bit of a trademark dispute with a certain global conglomerate about, about our last name and you're, you're not oh, allowed yeah. to uh, do that. So yeah, we had to change our name. You gotta be something else. That makes sense. Especially when they're Googling you. Yes. So how did you pick 54 then? Did you just kind of... Um, I really like the alliteration. I like the alliteration. I like the numbers. And there's a, a highway that my wife and I both lived off of, with the exception of like the years during college, we've always lived within two or three miles of that highway. And my wife says that that's always been the way home. And so she goes with oh, Fifty nice. Farms. That is nice. Um, all right. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Thanks much, guys. I can't do that part. I already messed <laughs> up our... Yeah, we, all right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. Bye.